What's up, guys? You are listening to episode 78 of the Modern Day Cyber Podcast, and you got Phil here. And in this episode, Kalen and I just get done wrapping up the advanced competition class that we taught down in Pig River at Josh Bandy's range. Awesome facility, awesome range. Josh is just an amazing human being, and we just love going out to Pig River. This is our third year now. And we've got Ryan Diagosino with us on the podcast, and we pretty much just wrap up the week talking about um, some debrief points from the two classes that we taught there, positional clinic and the advanced competition class where we had um, eight students, including Ryan and our favorite Heidi uh, Beaumont. We got some pretty bad weather on day two, but we were able to make it up with um, uh, doing the first half of the day with uh, just regular uh, classroom work as the rain started downpouring on us, but we were able to get some shooting done on the second uh, second half of that day. So um, other than that, yeah, we talk uh, reticles. We talk just a bunch of, you know, stuff. Uh, Ryan asked some really great questions for Kaylin and I to answer. And yeah, but we're, that pretty much sums up our season for, 2022 for our in-person classes make sure you check out our 2023 schedule we've got uh, altus florida coming up in january or altus florida baker florida and altus in january i will be there with my good friend matt solowinski and then kaylin will be down at volusia county in february so we've got an intro class i think for both of those as well as an advanced competition clinic and then we are still penciling out our schedule for the 2023 season but thanks for listening guys appreciate you guys being patient with us especially with our inconsistency but hopefully um, after this holiday season we'll get back to our regular scheduled programming but I appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening, and hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. Happy hunting, and you guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun. Well, that was a pretty cool four days. Been out for four days already? Yeah, this is our fifth day. Well, actually six, because we us. came in a day early. Yeah. We had a good week. We had, we had a good week. Um, the positional clinic was, was very popular. 15 students. Um, I think that's, I think that's obviously it's a really popular class for us because that's what everybody wants. They want to learn how to shoot and be stable up off the ground. And that's uh, obviously, you know, from a competitive standpoint, the majority of the people that showed up to class this week were, were competitors um, or aspiring competitors. Well, actually, we had one, two, three four, five, six, seven, I'd say about 50% because uh, seven of them were professionals, whether sure. they were actual instructors yep. or uh, professional snipers. For sure. Um, so, and some of those snipers were competitors as well. Yeah. Like, yep. um, I was surprised, man. Um, I was really surprised at the, not only the, and I don't want this to come off like in a weird way, but like I, I was surprised at the proficiency level and the quality of the equipment uh, that the boys from uh, Maryland had. Like Socko M10s? Yeah. I man. actually haven't seen a Socko being run in class since nope. I've been working. Nope. I've never, 
that is the first time I've seen a Saco come to class. Um, obviously, tons of Tikas, but I've never seen a Saco. Tons of Tikas, tons of AIs. I think that's a, a super capable weapon system. Dude, those things shot really well, and, and with how broken in they were, I was really impressed by their, uh, just the bolt throw. I mean, I got behind a Sako the other, the other month, and it was brand new, so it wasn't really broken in, but, you know, I think coming from the Tika, right? Um, You're really familiar with I'm that I'm really feel. familiar with, like, hey, the Tika out of the box, I mean... You could throw dirt in that thing and it'll run like a champ. Whereas like, you know, the Sako that I was messing around with, it was just, you could tell that it was, I mean, just brand new, mm -hmm. right? And so um, I was just very interesting to uh, see. But these guys, I mean, they've been running it for, what, damn near over five, six, seven years now? Yep. Those M10s. And uh, they're really cool. One of the things that is also interesting is... Um, you know, because of how old it is, even though it's not really old, but but 2015 is that, you know, there are some features that yeah. is like now prehistoric, right? So not having M-Lock yeah. on the Yeah, that's on one of those rails, things where it's, yep. you know, and so now they're they're having to, which is cool. Like that, that's why those smaller mom and pop shops was, which, I guess that gunsmith is not really a mom pasha, but uh, they're looking for uh, people to fabricate specific arc rails and stuff and like that. Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, he had uh, Evan had a had an arc rail that was still in the white, you know, mounted to the bottom of his rifle, and it's uh, you know they're looking for solutions, and I think it's I think it's really capable. I I appreciated the adjustable length of pull. Um, cause I shot Evan's rifle and Evan's like, I'm, I'm tall, but he's like six inches taller than I am seemingly. And, uh, you know, I tried to get onto his rifle and I just couldn't, I just couldn't make it happen. I couldn't even get a, I couldn't even get sight alignment. So being able to shorten that length of pull really fast, I, I appreciate that because of just situations getting into the field and field shooting, you know, you set up a rifle with a, with a, with a length of pull that's ideal for like a perfect world square body upright standing position to manage recoil and then you get that thing into a, a field shooting scenario where you you have to shoot uphill um, from a compromised position that's just not ideal you end up losing rifle to shoulder connection in order to get a sight picture without without shadow or sight alignment without shadow and so I like the fact that you have a, that there's a quick adjust length of pull on there so that you can like get the rifle comfortable with you to be able to manage recoil, especially on a lighter weight platform. I mean, that's not a lightweight platform, but how cool would that be to have that quick adjust in a lightweight platform that would be more like in a, for a hunting scenario or, you know, a hunting, a hunting setup. Yeah, because once you put on those, uh, once you put all those adjustability in the back and it starts adding weight. Yeah, it you starts know. to get heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could, I think it definitely could be done for sure. I was telling John, um, he was asking about some angle stuff because he saw the Hat Creek stickers on my case. And I was telling him, I was like, yeah, good luck ever having like a solid rifle shoulder connection in a lot of those things. Because he, he's a big fan of uh, 
barricades and you'll be shooting on like a low barricade that's like almost enough to just go prone with but just right. high enough that you can't yep and you pretty much have to just hunker under and you are never i'm not gonna say never but there's many scenarios that you'll do throughout that week that you're not getting that rifle shoulder connection and i was telling john that that it shows you kind of like you were talking about where you're starting to just like try and if it doesn't matter really you're just putting it away mm -hmm. and so it's like what is acceptable enough for that given size of target and that distance and your own capabilities and you see how all right i might not have a perfect perfect textbook definition of npa or rifle to shoulder connection but i can still hit this target mm -hmm. right and i can take that shot we figure but, out other ways to build a position sure right so yep. and you and you anticipate it you know it's going to happen mm -hmm. so when you have the when you have the ability to know that it's going to happen you can set yourself up for success by saying okay maybe for this shot i'm going to sacrifice i have to sacrifice some magnification to get a wider field of view to be able to say that. pick up that target in the recovery process faster um which works which works really really well and you're right because once once that happens at least for me, I automatically go to, oh, okay, what what are what tricks are in my bag that are gonna allow me yeah. to, to support and stabilize this rifle through the process of recoil? And so you just get creative with it. I think there's diminishing returns though, well, in everything, because uh, it's gotta be that yin and yang. Like I, like I always say, there's no free lunch. You're gonna ride that spectrum of give and take the entire time throughout shooting. Right. And you can power down to buy yourself that, uh, lack thereof of rifle to shoulder connection or recoil management but i think some people will power down a little too much to where they're like straining their eyes to read the subtensions sure. and the reticle exactly and now it's counterproductive misreading misreading wind wind numbers and all those things yep yeah it's you know that's why shooting out in, that's why shooting out in the field's fun and uh this season where i'm getting to the season at my house where i can go shoot rocks and you know like we talk about all the time, you know, you can only shoot on your range. You know, the range that I have is challenging all the time because there's always some sort of different wind pattern out there. It's, I mean, there are days that it is consistent. Like I can watch the weather report and I know exactly what I'm gonna see when I go to the range. But then there's other days in the summertime where there's such, such a, it's like a microclimate where there's a lot of thermal activity on the range and unpredictable wind patterns and wind flows come through there that are it's fun to shoot in but i kind of want to see a different look right i want to see a different thing so right on the other side of the fence of my range that's all that's all public land and once hunting season's over you can go out there and shoot rocks or shoot coyotes and it, it's i mean you've been out there you can shoot for freaking ever and ever and it's all open so you can make sure that things are safe and and that you're you know um that you, like overall you're being safe but uh there's rocks everywhere and their wind challenge the winds are challenging and it's nice to just be able to throw your kid on and 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 walk and just stop and and say okay that one right there all right how long does it take me to, to how long is it going to take me if this was a situation where i had to make that shot in from a professional standpoint or a hunting standpoint and you can really start training like you can really start training in 
conditions that are unfamiliar to you? I think, I know you guys have touched on this before uh, in, other of your, in other podcasts that you've uh, had previously that I've listened to, but I feel like this is kind of a, a good-ish time to talk about reticles, like reticle choice based on the application you're using it for. And kind of curious on your thought, you already probably know where I'm going with this. Um, right now, the, the hype, as you know, would be like the T3, the Tremor 3 reticle. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of the Tremor 3, but there are some drawbacks to it. But I'm curious to, I'm curious to hear what yours is. I know in one of the podcasts you said that you were new to it and you were going to teach some recon Marines, I think. Mm -hmm. And so you had to kind of get schooled up on it before going. Mm -hmm. I found a big thing is when, like for instance, with that reticle in particular, if you're running wind dots, which I find myself never running wind dots, I kept resorting to mills. Mm -hmm. And that was just me personally. But uh, the newer shooters on that reticle uh, the wind dots are at the half mil mark between each whole number. Mm -hmm. And so if they started to say, like, hey, if my if my drop was 4-3, uh, oh, I'm going to hold my first wind dot because maybe it's 5 mile an hour, uh, and they hold, they want to put that wind dot center, and now they're actually holding 4-5 mm -hmm. instead of 4-3. And now that was a big issue that I would see people have is because now they're compensating for elevation instead of putting that wind dot, like, belly button size on or belly anatomically speaking the wind dot is just a is, is a is a is a horizontal reference correct right you have to be able, like even if even if i'm if i have to hold like 4.8 that 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 four mile an hour wind dot is going to be in the target's face yep. right so but you still have to hold 4.8 but you have to move for the horizontal component of wind now i like I'm probably getting a little ahead of myself, but what, what's your take on that reticle? Yeah, man, um, I'm I'm glad that you asked because in the past I've been I've been pretty curmudgeon, if you will, on that reticle. It's a hell Philip's of a word. Smiling, you know what curmudgeon is? No, like just I'm pretty dumb, man. Like I mean, grumpy, <laughs> just being grumpy and angry. Why not just say grumpy? <laughs> just say curmudgeon. Um, <laughs> so I try to sound sophisticated. <laughs> it's a ten dollar um, word, man. Yeah, uh, I was, and and the reason that I was was because I looked at that reticle and I was just like, how much more bullshit are you gonna try to cram into a fucking reticle, man? This is a calc three. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, so, and I also think it's a training issue, right? As a, so if you were brought up on the T3 and you were handed a scoped rifle and, and, and that was issued to you and that was what you were gonna learn on, that's where you started from ground zero, you would look at a Gen 1 mil dot reticle and you would say, Blasphemy. There's absolutely no <laughs> way I can hit a target, right? Yeah, for sure. I came from the other side. I came from the other way around, whereas that's what I learned on. And that's basically what I, what I went to war and practiced my skills, my limited skills at that time. And let's be honest, like my skills as a shooter when I went to war were not anywhere close to where they're, be, where they're at today. Well, sure, because you've progressed. The the fun meaning my knowledge though of how to apply those things, like we learned, quote unquote, max point blank. Accidentally. But, but even our 
but even our instructor staff at the time didn't have any context as to how maximum point blank range or knowledge of danger space or knowledge of <clears throat> optimum point blank zeros, or body holds. We didn't really truly understand that until we went to war and put these practices to use and figured out what was actually gonna work in these situations. And from that, we now have better understandings of what is uh, what you're actually going to experience when you when you go to fight with a scoped rifle with, as a as a sniper because there's so many different ways that you can do that right there's the you know the the selected target or you know very intentional shot whereas in a in a in a direct combat role that's basically just an extended range gunfight you know what I mean like. I'm able to engage targets at greater distances with more precision and lethality than an infantryman or a machine gunner can. And that's really what you experience as a sniper in a direct combat role. So a lot of that stuff becomes super instinctual and it's, you're, not really, you're not concerned to a great degree about compromising your position because everybody's shooting at everybody. You are to some degree, like I don't want to hang out, hang myself out of a out of a window or anything like that. But you understand what I'm saying is like I don't have to be very concerned about taking more signature. Than, yeah. So and now with the advent of suppressors, because we didn't have suppressors then either. Now with the advent of suppressors, that just makes things much more permissible for a sniper in an urban environment or even a rural environment for that matter. Meaning like I can sustain this position for. Uh, a greater length of time or a greater amount of shots fired before I risk compromising myself and taking a 120 millimeter tank round in the face. So we learned a lot about that and, and then how to actually hit targets using the reticles that we had. So like I, I look at a lot of things and I think like the, the 12 inch drill, I think in theory in concept, teaching somebody how to use their mills in that way is fantastic. I've never heard of anyone actually using a 12-inch drill in combat. Bingo. Not saying it hasn't I'm happened. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I'm, I'm sure not saying someone. it hasn't happened. It's the same thing with that with that side-prone bullshit. Show me a sniper that actually oh, did that in combat. 90 degree. And looked at and and that dude you can call me. You can call me actually email me kalen at moderndaysniper.com and if you have actually taken a live shot as a sniper in combat using side prone and you needed to do that because of the tactical situation, I want to hear about your experience. And was effective. Exactly. And did you hit what you were going to shoot at? Yeah. I'd be curious to hear so that. So like all of these things, I understand that they become tools like the T3. And I think that the concept of wind dots is, is good to teach somebody, uh, the wind brackets, right? Like it's very, it's it's visually pleasing to be able to say that's what a four mile an hour wind hold looks like for this for this dope. Right? I guess because I, it's because it's an increasing, yeah. it's an increasing linearly increasing value. Yeah. So then we can start to kind of visualize what that's actually going to look like in your reticle with increasing amounts of data on the gun. Sure, I know. <sighs> I know my buddy over at NSW, he, like they're 
really huge on wind dots and big advocates for them. And I mean, that's what they, he runs it every day, a Tremor 3 reticle. So he loves that reticle. And you can do a lot with it to make certain jobs easier. Um, like movers, if you calibrate that reticle to your specific rifle and know what that mover speed represents at that distance for you and your gun, mm -hmm. um, sure, there's a lot of perks to it, but and I had a Tremor 3, not in the Marine Corps. I, I grew up on the Gen, Gen 2 mil dot. Mm -hmm. I'm with, assuming you had that too. With Half the 8541? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's Gen 2 mil dot. Yep, I had the Gen 2 mil dot, and man, I got behind that after coming from the infantry to there, and I was like, oh, I'm the fucking Reaper, bro. Like, <laughs> and I was like, ah, shit. And I didn't know shit about fuck, man. And <laughs> I end up then seeing this Tremor 3, and I was like, Jesus Christ, man. I was like, these two-tenth increments are, are awesome, these subtensions of two-tenths. And uh, I had a T3 outside of the Marine Corps, because, you know, I still followed that swine life lifestyle, well, I guess you would say, and uh, wanted to do what, you know, the whatever the snipers are running. And so I, then I listened to your guys' podcast a few years ago, and it got me really thinking about, like, all right, do I really need this for what I'm doing? And that's when I made that switch back to a traditional Christmas tree reticle. Um, it cleaned up the field of view significantly. Um, for instance, when I was competing for Mammoth, or I'm, I'm sorry, preparing for Mammoth, I was running a 5.56. Five, and I pushed, I just had an LPVO 1 to 10 on my 18-inch AR. And I was just doing a hold with an AR-15 at 1,000 yards consistently planking with it. And then I was like, okay, well, It'll do it, but I need something more. The only other thing I had was my T3 and my Mark V, and I threw that on. And that's what I competed with, actually. But at distance, that little bit of splash, that little 5.56 five, kicks up, kind of gets washed out in a lot of those dots and, and there's a lot of There's a lot of stuff going on. There's there. a lot of shit going on. So I would find myself having to sacrifice follow-through by firing and immediately dropping yeah, low getting it out of the way. to get into the next quadrant, uh, the upper uh, hemisphere of either quadrant one or two. That'll happen too with with a, a light recoiling competition rifle where uh, like if your when your recoil management is is on point, you'll shoot and you'll have to move it, move the reticle out of the way sure. just to be able to read the plate so you don't lose the splash. So that happens, I guess I'm looking more for this from the standpoint of um, once you learn the wind dots, the, or once you learn, because really all, our, all wind dots are is a variation of gun number. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, they're time of flight dots essentially for your gun. Yeah, so once we learn that value, then it just, then it goes back to that, that intuition. Okay, so I'm shooting a seven mile an hour gun, right? At 600 yards, every seven mile an hour, six tenths of a mil. I think that's easier than wind dots, just because that's that's you know that's me. Um, Is it because it's what we do all the time now, right? It's right. what like when we grab a rifle. I mean, when I grab a rifle, when I figure out what bullet I want to shoot with it, the next thing that I try to figure out in my solver is, and based off of the altitude or environment I'm going to be operating in, is 
what's, what's my, my gun, gun number? what's my gun number right because <laughs> literally that's so the third effective. thing it's like all right this is the rifle i want to shoot this is the bullet i want to shoot at the velocity now what's my gun number yeah 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 because it's so effective it's um once you understand the concept uh and i and i believe that wind dots are the same thing and there are some advantages there are some advantages to that and i think a lot of those advantages are highlighted on ranges that golf course ranges are designed to highlight those features right so it's like hey look how easy it is to use this 12 inch drill yeah on flat range. 10 12 inch tall squares you know or 12 inch tall dog targets on this range with nice backdrops very contrasty target you can literally go oh man yeah that's super fast you're not gonna do that on some dude that's dashing across a street or dashing through a, you know, a small opening in the timber if you're fighting in Ukraine or something like that. It's just not gonna be, and, and it's gonna like get in the way. Yeah. So <clears throat> I do believe there's pros and cons to, to everything in there. I believe that it's a training issue, meaning like if that's what you were brought up on as a Padawan, then that's what you know and that's what you're familiar with. And then anything outside the norm from that is going to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. I like, so some of the reticles that I really, I really enjoy using, uh, obviously the Collis, the, the Skimmer 4, that's, I really like it. It's simple. It has enough detail in the reticle that I can use it. And I don't, generally don't ever find myself wanting more when I use that reticle. You might have a different opinion because you've shot it longer than I have, but I think um, the uh, the Night Force, uh, it's the Mill XT. I really like that reticle. It, yeah, I hear a lot of good things with that one. It's um, very it's, clean and simple. It's clean and simple. The reticle that you have in your ZCO oh, is man. Yeah. I've, the it's nomenclature. The Impact 2. Impact 2. I'm Impact a dirty two. little slut for that reticle, man. I love it. It's really nice. It's, yeah. a, it's a good reticle and it, it works well. I like the uh, Impact 3X that I had when I had the ZC, when I had my 5 to 27 ZC. You hated that. I didn't like the open dots. I don't know how I feel about it. I understand don't it. Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get rid of my ZCO because of that. I'm just saying that it's different. It's different, and it's just like mm, I don't like that. I almost think of when I see that reticle, the first thing that goes to my mind is like connect the dots. Like that's all <laughs> I can think of, and like what kind of animal can I make out of this? And it just it throws me <laughs> off mentally. But there's nothing wrong with that reticle by any means. No, it's good. It works. I love simple, clean reticles, um, especially for hunting. You yep. know, um, the TMR, the, the late TMR. TMR. So it's definitely, you know, application-based, right, based off yeah, of what you sure. plan on using the rifle for. I think, um, like Kalen said, I, I've been forcing myself to get behind the Tremor 3 to really understand it because, again, um, that's what our current... And, uh, military snipers are using right um but i i, I it uh takes me back to or doesn't say it reminds me of the guy that uh is a fair weather shooter goes to the range you know during the best parts of the day when it's nice and sunny out and um and he's got you know that lower budget scope and he says this optic is just as good as a four five thousand dollar optic right yeah. but he hasn't been exposed to places around the world where that optic, when you start getting weather like we did the last couple of days, yeah. and you know, those those dark shadows comes in and, and stuff like that, you got targets that are hidden in 
between the trees or you got heavy mirage, yep. right? Like that's when you start to really see the differences, the differences between those higher quality optics by getting yourself that. And so, you know, that brings me to my next point. It's like, all right, if, if you're getting into long range shooting, you have no ambition at this moment of traveling to shoot competitions, you've got your home range that's out to a thousand yards, you're learning by all means that, that, that budget scope is, you know, is what you got. Right. And it's, it's, it's capable. But when you start going to competitions out west, and you know it's weather doesn't you know uh, show up the way you want it to, mm -hmm. that's when you start to see the separation of why some people are going to be running four or five thousand dollar optics, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you can't tell me that now your thousand dollar scope is just as good as this thirty five hundred dollar night force. Mm -hmm. I think where a lot of that comes from is, uh, Kaylin, Correct me if I'm wrong on this. Um, but I listened to your summit with Michael. Um, phenomenal. The way he breaks things down with optics is amazing. Um, but I, when I was working at Palmetto State Armory, um, I don't know if I ever told you that. Yeah, I work there. Um, not my proudest moments in life. But <laughs> you got to do what you got to do, bro. Yeah. Um, so I would have, and it's in South Carolina. So you already know the kind of like 30 out six. Like yep. It's God's caliber. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that I dealt with on the reg. And God, I'm going to get so much hate for this. But the um, I would have to explain things to them. And they just look at this one scope that's like $200 under fluorescent lighting mm -hmm. and compare it to the $3,000 loopy. And they're like, it's just as good. And yeah. then, like Michael was saying, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but because I'm not like some optical genius, but there's different light ranges and they are optimizing the light spectrum scale, if you will, to be what's most perceived under fluorescent lighting. Correct. Because they know those scopes are gonna go to like your Cabela's, your Shields, your Palmetto State Armory. Correct. Your all, whatever the fuck. And so they're gonna look through it and they know you're gonna get those guys that don't know anything better. Right. And they're like, oh, I'm just gonna get the cheaper one. And, but I see it all the time. They'd show up and they would buy, um, you know, a pretty decent rifle. I know you're not a fan of the Bergaras. Um, I know they do have extraction, or I'm sorry, not extraction, ejection issues. But I mean, the Bergara all in all, relatively good rifle, better than like just grabbing some, something else off the shelf, I guess mm -hmm. you could say. Or they would grab some Tikas, but then they go and grab it's like literally some two, I'm not going to name brand drop, but like two or $300 optic and then slap it on. I'm like, you're doing this backwards, man. Like that optic is literally designed to within smaller than a degree, be able to precisely put a tiny little projectile in the time and space at a pre-designated location with extreme accuracy. Mm -hmm. And you're sacrificing on that Yeah. versus grabbing like, your grandpappy's 30-06 and then slapping like a tangent theta on top and you'd probably do some damage. There's a diff, yeah, okay, I can see where you're coming from with that. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned the, the clarity. Last night shooting the night match, Zach, he has a $300 Athlon scope on that rifle. Did he really? Yeah, he had a $300 Athlon scope on that <laughs> rifle. And he was hitting targets. And, and he was yeah. hitting targets. And he was and he was coming off the line talking with Josh and because Josh was like, hey, how's like can you see things? And Zach's like, I can see everything. Wow, that's awesome. I just shot, I just hit seven out of ten shots. 
So that's why we can't have nice things. <laughs> so yeah, you see that and you go, all right, well, you're right. It, I'm not like, it's not a $3,000 scope and we're shooting at night and, um, and Zach is still being able to identify targets, the same identification of targets that other shooters have. Yeah. Um, with extremely greater or higher quality optics. Now, would you say it's the coatings on the lenses that they're yes. putting on that? So getting back to your comment on Michael um, and the, uh, you know, optimizing the coatings for that particular spectrum of light. You remember how we were trying to set up the white balance on the camera? Well, Phil was Phil was doing some recording, and we were talking. He was asking me about the white balance. What oh. do you think the white balance is from these okay, lights? Okay, yeah, yeah. So that is on a that's on a spectrum of Kelvin, and it goes all the way down to I think thirty three hundred Kelvin, all 20, the way on 27. up to uh, twenty seven hundred. Yeah, and then it goes all the way up to uh, over six thousand. Yeah, and like so seven thousand or something. It has to do with the with the um, with the warmth of the light versus the coolness of the light, whether the light is more blue or whether the or light yellow. is more or yellow. Gotcha. And is it yellow or that's for me it's orange. orange. So like that right right there is a is a warm it's light. It's a warm light. I think of it more like your weapon lights, like a surefire or that's a mod a cool, light. That's a cool like light. That. Yeah. That's a those cool are, light. Those are like so those are cool. Yeah, those like yeah, so that's what he's talking about. And yes, you can you can op, you have to tell the camera in this particular situation, you have to tell the camera what white is because it doesn't know on the color spectrum what, what, what light is or what white is. Okay. So you have to tell it or else the balance of the colors will not be correct to what you saw. And so you can, you can manipulate that with lenses by putting different coatings on them. So you can optimize, you can, you can optimize that lens to specifically focus on one portion or spectrum of light. As an example, I, I was on a hunt where uh, the hunter had, uh, I want to say it was a Zeiss. It was a Zeiss scope. It was a lower end Zeiss scope. And the bull that we found was late in the day and, and it was getting towards that, that, that blue hour. We're still obviously within shooting light, but I could see the animal completely clearly through my glass. And at the time, I was, that was when I was using the Leica Geobids. This, uh, it was at 625 yards. The hunter could not see the animal through his scope. We're trying to talk him on, trying to talk him on, trying to talk him on, and the hunter cannot see the animal through his scope. And, and it's like so obvious, because I know that he sees what I'm directing him to because there's only like in this particular instance, there was a, a bright white dead snag that looked like a Y at the end of it. You could not miss it on this hillside. And the bull was bedded right underneath it. And he was like, dude, I am looking at the bright white dead snag with a fucking Y on the hillside and I cannot see what you're telling me to see. So then I was just like, dude, what are you talking about? Eat more carrots. Are you blind? <laughs> so then I, I was like, dude, I have to look through your scope. Right, so I get down, I look through the scope, and no, you could not see it. And then I said, no, you look at, now you look at it through my binos, and he's just pissed, super pissed. And he couldn't shoot. It's like this guy Ryan sold me a scope. <laughs> 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 Fuck that guy. 
He said, he said the bigger objective brings in more light. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, so uh, those situations solid. where it's like, like uh, you look at Swarovski binos. The first time I, I looked at a pair of, of Swarovski binos, I was hunting in Texas and, it, and we were hunting pigs. And this dude, the guy that I was there, the guy that, I, that was hosting us on the, on the ranch, he was walking around and, and, and it was damn near dark and he's, he's using his binos. He's using his binos and I'm just like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, we fucking see in the dark. And he was, he was able to look into the shadows with, those, with the, the, the color and the clarity and the contrast of that particular glass through those Swarovski binos. And I didn't believe it. And I was like, let me see. I grabbed the binos and sure as shit. It's not like it's x-ray vision or anything, but- You can make out some details. Oh man, absolutely. And if there was an animal moving in there, you yeah. would be able to see it. I guess the, every time, usually once a week or once every other week, I'll do like a Q&A on my Instagram. And every time, I think you, you guys already know what I'm gonna say, you probably get the, the same question. Hardest question for me to answer, but it's the most common one. What scope should I buy? That's a pretty it's, common question. It's a very common question, but it sometimes it's what budget scope should I buy? Mm -hmm. And I feel, I feel bad because I literally have to answer it based on information I've received from individuals that I would trust that have run those optics because I don't have a lot of money. I'm not made of money. It might seem that way because I have an accuracy or a national or a ZCO, but there's a reason I have an AI and a ZCO. That's all I got. And so, and an Xbox. And so the, uh, when I try and answer that question, it's like, I never, I don't spend my money on something that's a budget quote unquote sure. budget. And I feel bad, that sounds bougie as shit and I don't no, mean it that fair. way. It's just like, look, okay. I don't have a lot of money. Like if I'm gonna put this money towards something, I'm gonna put it towards what I want. Sure. Not just, oh, I'm gonna drop $800 on a scope just to say, oh, I've done this, but now I've lost 800 that I could have put towards what I actually wanted, if that makes sense. Yeah, I. that is a really reasonable question. And we did a podcast with, uh, Dark Lord Optics. The Dark Lord of Optics. And he covered that pretty well in there. Yeah. Like what, what were the, on the spectrum of what we would call budget, he kind of broke it down by price point. That's good. And then inside that price point, you know, the A pick, the B pick, the C pick type thing. Sure. And yeah, it, I've seen people come out to class with, I had one guy come out to a class with a 1903 Springfield. Nice. That's and, awesome. Yeah, and he and and you, I don't know if you remember, but uh, Springfield Armory made a line of optics back in the day. I did not know that. And he had a Springfield Armory scope on that thing, and he was hitting targets. He was hitting targets all the way out to a grand. Was he hitting them with the same amount of consistency that an individual that had a custom rifle and you know a high end, high sure. dollar scope? No. But then again, that rifle only shot like two and a half minutes. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Um, it was in the noise of the weapon system. Nah, he was just having a good time, and he built yeah. this rifle, and he was just like, no, nah, I want to do this, and he had a great rifle. So, yeah, the, the thing with optics, I agree with, I agree with, 
with you on the fact that like, hey, if you're gonna spend that, if you're gonna spend your money, spend it on the optic because then that optic can move around, you know, to different platforms. I, I should probably caveat and just say like, look, I don't, that is not talking shit on like, stop being poor. No, 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 like, no, no. I'm of poor. Not. Like, dude, no, I get it. Like it's, I, I'm, what I'm trying to say is you should put that money towards maybe sacrifice a little on the rifle or really if it, if your gap is maybe just an extra couple hundred dollars before you get to that next tier, maybe just hold off an extra month or two and try and put, save a little bit more money. And, That'll put you into that next echelon of class, if you will, of optic. But well, well, I mean, if you if you dive into the optic, right, what it, what it, what what it's responsible for, right? I mean, Frank Galley said it best: is other than the shooter, the next weakest link of a, a precision rifle system is the optic. Okay, yeah, I'd agree with that. And so, you know, when you when you start diving, especially when you start diving into ballistics, we, we, we talk about the, uh, the last. A uh, couple days now, especially with you listening to the uh, Hornady podcast lately, um, this morning, um, and then Kalen's discussion yesterday during the uh, advanced class, right, um, uh, for the classroom session, when people start tweaking, you know, BCs and for shit, shit to line up. Well, have they even done a tracking test for that optic? Yeah. Right. You're stacking is that, tolerances. Exactly. Now. Right. So it's like, it's like. The last thing that you know you want to do is is think that you're you're going to cut corners by you know buying an optic that is going to save you money in the long run, but rea in reality it's just going to cause you more heartache because you're going to the range, things are not lining up, mm -hmm. right? You're um, expending ammo on on a rifle that is known to shoot very well, like a Tika, a Savage, one ten, a Bagara. Um, you know, what else, uh, factory rifles out there, Ruger, American, Savage. right? A, the it, the new so, Savages are, man, we're hearing super good things about those. The, uh, the one things that we see fail all the time in our classes mainly is, is the scopes, mm -hmm. right? And, and I was actually going to roll into like, it's funny since we've been doing this together, um, with regard to our students and our and our customers, um, every time we come out to a class, I feel like the equipment that the students are bringing to class is just a lot better, right? And I don't know if it's because they're more informed, they're more aware, they're making better decisions on their choices, right? When when it comes to buying a rifle, sure we get that one guy that's like, sure, what the hell is this? Is that a Tasco? But. <laughs> We didn't have any rifle issues this this uh, these four uh, with no. Uh, with oh, uh, no. Mm -mm. no 20, rifle issues with twenty three students right. Um, we had one guy that dropped his rifle um, unfortunately, but he I mean his shit held pretty damn true. Yep. Um, I think he was only a tenth off, which was a pretty nasty fall uh, for that for that optic mm -hmm. with uh, with it in a comp uh, competition show. You know, hopefully he saw that and it built confidence because I know other optics that would probably take a fall like that. And you'd have to return it back to yep. its factory. Yeah, honestly, if it, if I was up in the mountains or something like that, and and in that instance, I was standing right there when that happened, dude. If my scope got whacked like that up in the mountains, and I was on a hunt, I'd be concerned. I'd be wanting to. I'd be like, hey, it's, uh, we need to check zero, for sure, because that was a freaking solid crush. Now you you brought up a good point talking about uh, essentially your sight scale factor, yeah. like how it tracks. 
really there's nothing you can do about it if it's not like it's not i mean you can uh, apply it like in uh i know the new kestrel update has a site scale factor that you can account for but it's not like you can just loosen some screws and calibrate the scope yeah. to track properly but it brings me to a uh, brings up a good point of um like at hat creek they're big on uh, uh, truing because that's what all the he uses what you know the students are running and they all have the ab kestrels but when it comes to that tracking aspect he would want us to true our true our rifles and dial because you it brings your eye to the optical center of mm-hmm. that which your eye naturally wants to go to mm-hmm. but then after you've done that zero it out and hold and see if it's and the same. see if it's the same as what the dial was yep. that way you know you're not having a tracking issue not that there's really much honestly that you can that's, do about that's it that's that's doing it from a standpoint of like heuristics sure and that's that's fair because in order to do a tall target test for every class for every student is time consuming. Oh, absolutely. It's I don't know how Frank does it in his class. He puts he puts it on uh, basically like a lead sled. Yeah, that yeah, badger. Yeah. The, but the fact that he's he's able to push all those students through. Yeah. yeah. And why? That's a I, that's my question is why do it? Like what is what is he? I'm not against it. I think that's cool. I'm just trying to figure out like okay, let's see. You have a student that doesn't have that. If I had to guess, and this is something. I mean, What's up, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, fuck that Ryan guy. Uh, <laughs> so, so sorry. Oh <laughs> uh, man, I, we wish we wished you a happy birthday over the text thread, but happy birth, happy belated birthday, buddy. Um, I think if I had to if I had to guess, Frank wants to do it for a couple of reasons. He probably wants to do it so he can aggregate a bunch of data. Oh, for uh, sure. To see what's happening across different manufacturers because he sees a large volume of those scopes. And that would be that would be great data. And he did publish it. He published it to the community and said, hey, this is what we noticed. This is what we noticed via, with tracking errors, errors. Now, I mean, is he putting that thing on a, you know, uh, like is he, a, is he uh, an optical engineer and is he using a collimator and all of these scientifically tested and, and calibrated instruments? No. He's looking at it from the standpoint of what is the end user going to be able to test for themselves and I'm going to test it in that manner so that way I can A, show the student if there is a disparity, this is potentially where it could be coming from and to give the student confidence in their equipment to get also like establish a baseline. Like, hey man, this is what happened with your scope. We found your scope to have 3% error in its tracking. And look, check it out. This is where it starts. We dial it up to this. This is where it ends. We dial it back down. And oh yeah, by the way, it doesn't really return to zero either. So it's a way for him to, I think, just show the student and let them see it with their own two eyes what is actually happening. Yeah. Now, you, if you have other um, insight or experience to what I'm about to say, please chime in with it. But... I know, because you, you had mentioned collimating and, you know, light, and we've been talking about this optic uh, situation. Uh, there was a, and then talking about hunting, and you hunt in the mountains a lot, and that made me think of a somewhat popular, if I guess it, if you're kind of paying attention in precision advancements and stuff in articles, um, there was a somewhat popular article that came out years ago about shooting in the mountains as far as, dialing versus holding i'm not going to name drop or say the company but it basically was saying how 
if you dial in mountains, you'll be fine. This is, this is like just the gist of it, I'm paraphrasing. But if you hold, they're almost always missing high or something along those lines. And that's just not true. Like, Correct. They're trying, I think what he was trying to get at was like Snell's Law, if I remember correctly. I'm very familiar, I'm very familiar with it. Yeah. Um, it literally was a dumpster fire. Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll, it's. We don't need a name. No, <laughs> it's, no, but that's the thing. I don't like that. I don't like that. And I the agree. reason that I don't like that is because everybody is so afraid of pissing in somebody's Wheaties when is that this, information. Is this, is this Ward? Yeah, that's Ward. All right, never and mind. it's <laughs> fucking <Never mind>. stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. I agree with you, man. I'm just trying to. This is your podcast. I don't want to. Well, no, stir the fire. And, and but that's what that's that's part of the reason why we do what we do is like that is bogus. It's complete bogusness. And the problem is, is that once that little bit of information gets put into the pond, spreads it. Man, it spreads it, right? And and it's like that is not the case. You've experienced it. Yeah. I've experienced it. Phil's experienced it. It is not the case. Yeah. There are so many other conditions in a mountainous environment that would contribute to a miss. Oh that my God, yes. To be able to blame it on Snell's law of refraction is, and the claim of the misses is just astronomical. Like, yeah. if if it was an inch or two. Okay. At 600 or 800 or whatever the case is, we okay, can talk. fair, plausible. Yeah. We can talk about that. However, when you're telling me that I'm going to miss by 36 inches at 500 meters because I'm using a hold and a reticle, I'm sorry, homie, you smoked your breakfast. It's obviously Coriolis. So, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so stuff like that is like I, I kind of ignore it um, just because I'll fact check it with somebody that I trust and, you know, it is what it is. But things like that, I know, I believe that they absolutely have to be told um, and the name has to get associated with that theory because that's where it came from. I think I made Caitlin mad. You know, so it is, it is what it is. And, and I think that's like, that's accountability that, that's lacking in our community in large regard. That's fair. I support it. Only reason I didn't name drop or any of that stuff is like, you know, it's like your guy's podcast. I don't want to. No, that's like, fair. I'll and leave so it up to you guys if you want to. One of the things that we we try to avoid with our with our community and our students is that like, because you know I'm I'm assuming people go to uh, uh, classes like his and like now they they everything that he says is gospel yeah. right so now he's creating these little disciples of <laughs> you know you can't hold over in the mountains because it's gonna it's gonna cause you to miss high yeah right and you should dial everything well. You know, with, with our students, and this is why we, we, we're always big fans of like, hey, don't just like do what we say, right? Yep. We want you to like- Go figure it out. Go figure it out. Like, this is how you find your own truth about what's bullshit and what's real. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that is ultimately why, you know, you made a comment uh, the other day about kind of our, our students and their kind of mindset and, and how they are. Yeah. And that- and I think that's prefaced with the fact that, um, you know, ultimately, even though we're snipers, we're still students um, of this of this craft, craft right? Yeah. Uh, and and we are uh, we don't know the answer to everything. Um, you know, I know that when I teach a class by myself uh, in in Wyoming, 
you know, I, I prefaced day two when we talk about external ballistics. I'm like, hey guys, Kalen's a way better teacher at this than I am, but I'm gonna give you guys a general understanding of ballistics if you don't know. And what's really important because I'm not, I'm not a ballistician, I'm not gonna, you know, try to sway them with, you know, $30 words. Oh, right? that's $30. <laughs> $10 words. <laughs> but they're not there to learn about ballistics, right? If they want to learn, dive deeper, they'll open a Brian Litz book. They'll subscribe to Hornady, you know, Jaden's podcast. They're, they're, they're there to learn how to drive a rifle, right? And I think that's what separates us, I think, from other people in the industry is that even though long range is super technical, it's not, right? It's not really. If you if you want to get technical, you sure can. If that's what's you know what interests you, absolutely. But you're completely correct, especially in the modern age where we have so many tools and technology uh, technologies available to us that make it way way less of this uh, mythical aura that it once was. If if you had a recommended book right now, Ryan, what would? And I haven't read. I've, I've kind of thumbed through Frank Galley's book. Yeah. Um, I haven't read Kleckner's book, but I know about it. Uh, I've I read, read like a few pages. And then obviously we, we've all read Brian Litz's book. I, sure. I, I think those are the three that always come to mind when people ask like, hey, what book should I get into with, with low range shooting? What would you like, because you've read those, both those books, right? Yeah, I've read all those. What, like, Again, from the perspective of a new shooter coming new shooter. into the sport, like yeah. which one did you find more like, oh man, I, like I want to pick up a gun right after this and start shooting? So I can answer that two different ways, and it's going to depend on the mindset of the individual. So from a fundamental aspect of, because you, to go back to what to, to uh, go back to what you're saying is it's, what made you want to pick up a rifle to go do this? So if that's the question, I can answer this two ways based on their mindset. One, if they've never touched a rifle before, ever, I would probably lean more towards Frank Galley's book. He breaks down the fundamentals very well. Um, I'm not a weaponized math kind of guy, but other than that, I think the fundamentals, and he does a very good job to understand on an entry-level intro of fundamentals, I think it's an excellent book. I'm a big fan of it. Um, now, if you already have at least a, you might not be Bob Lee Swagger, but like popping headshots at 900 meters on a technical, but the, uh, <laughs> I laugh because you did a, a video on that, but if you at least have a basic, you know, somewhat understanding of precision rifle shooting, but you want that extra motivation because you want to learn more, I'd say the Brian Litz books because I specifically remember the first time I read that book, I was in Romania um, on deployment and I was reading that book. So I was kind of known as like the ballistic queer in my uh, platoon and I just always studied ballistics and it just made me want to pick up the rifle to go and do that. So I know that wasn't as straightforward of an answer as you were probably hoping, but I think based on their mindset, what makes you want to pick the rifle up, if you don't know shit about fuck, Frank Galley's book. If you have somewhat understanding, uh, but you kind of want to have a better understanding of the why, Brian Litz's book. 
but I would just say read both. It, well, like you said, it's all progression mindset. You For know sure. what I mean? Yeah. What, your, what your brain is able to comprehend at that moment. 100%. You know, so. I would say Frank Galley's book then is probably the yeah, easy way yeah. to put it. Yeah, and, and so another common question that Kayla and I get is, hey, uh, I really want to sign up for your positional or advanced class. Do I have to take your intro class? Or is this, is this you know, or, or are these intro classes okay before taking, you know, one of your uh, uh, positional classes? And, you know, uh, you know, not saying that other instructors that or other classes that these guys might attend, um, you know, are not of par. But typically when we get guys that are not subscribed to some of our theories of, of, of um, rifle setup, rifle to shoulder connection, right? Um, when they come to class, they're a little bit behind the power curve because, right, they haven't received our first dosage of, hey, this is why we want to put our butt stock here, right? This is why we want to use a jaw weld instead of a cheek weld. And then they're essentially kind of scrambling and, 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 and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, we had a, uh, who, who was one of my advanced uh, uh, school instructors, you guys talked together, right, uh, uh, Dan? Um, and so, I mean, he came through our intro course earlier this year and he said he picked up and he was a sniper, he was been, he, he was a sniper for, for 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. And he's, he said he picked up more at that four day class than he did from like 10 of the previous courses that he went to, yeah. which were all advanced level classes in theory. Right? Exactly. And that's kind of why, like I, I would get questions back when I was teaching with a company that I was teaching with was, uh, Hey Ryan, are you going to make an advanced class? And I'm really torn with labeling something as advanced because one, what defines advanced for one? Yeah. And then two, like... That's a good segue. The, what, what does define advanced? We, we're, we're of the same mindset. Just we... Sure. We looked, at, um, we looked at our history of doing law enforcement, uh, law enforcement classes and you know, the basic versus the advanced. I mean, in a law enforcement sniper's capacity, a basic course means this guy, uh, you know, he might have been a, a cop on the SWAT team as an entry guy, and now he wants to take that role on as, uh, as a sniper on the team. And usually the way that transition or that progression works in a SWAT team is the, they want the guy to have some experience as an entry dude before he goes to the long gun, which I think is completely valid. I think it's a great way of doing things because now the dude behind the scoped rifle understands what, what they need. Um, and so that means a basic course for that is we're, te we're literally teaching this dude bolt manipulation, right? We're teaching him how to, like what is a minute of angle? What is a 10th of a mil? How do you dial your turrets? What do these things do? How do they work? That is a, in my in my opinion, that is a basic sniper course. Now, you have a lot of ground to cover, right? Good God, you have a lot of ground to cover in a really short amount of time. And just giving a basic course, in order to put on a really good basic course for law enforcement snipers, you need you need a big staff, you need a, a, a significant amount of infrastructure, if you will, just because it, there's you're covering a lot of ground. Yeah, you know, in terms of knowledge and skills. And then we looked at it 
And we said, well, wait a minute. As soon as this guy leaves this basic course, for all intents and purposes, in the eyes of that law enforcement department, he's qualified to do the job, right? Yeah. So he's yeah. got the title, he, he passed the course, he's qualified to do that job, and he could find himself into, a, in, into a, a, an extremely complex or um, advanced yeah. scenario where there's a lot of moving parts and that experience is not there to be able to tend to all those things and be effective. And so we looked at it and we were like, okay, then like we said, what denotes an advanced skill? And we said, well, from our point of view, it was more along the lines of, they're all the same skills. They're all the same skills. It's just- Compressed time or yeah. contextual. We're, we're processing this amount of information in, from this at the basic level down to this in the advanced level. I think that's where those rapid target engagements come into play because I think when people ask for advanced courses, at least because I've, I've put, I've, I probably shouldn't have, but I've pushed speed drop a lot just because I think it's a cool thing to know. Do mm -hmm. I think it's practical? No, not really. I mean, I think practicality for most modern day engagements would be max point blank with the optimal point blank zero. Body More, holds. And, yeah, and body holds. Um, but it's cool, it's like a tool, mm -hmm. just like 12 inch drill. But I think people are like, oh, give me advanced like that. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I can teach you that, but. You're putting more, uh, basically like from an advanced standpoint, we're saying, okay, you just have to process more information in a shorter amount of time. Yeah, exactly. Right, and, and you have to be able to tend to all these different things, which means you gotta be familiar with your gear. You gotta be familiar with how your rifle works, how your scope works. You gotta be familiar with how your tripod works. You have to have a system of how to manage all of your equipment. Where am I getting, like, at what point in time do I pull my rangefinder out in my, um, in, my, in, my, uh, in my steps, right, in my process? Where am I gonna retrieve my data from? Where, where are all these things? Even all the way down to like, where, where's my ammunition kept, right, to, to feed the rifle? And then it's overlooked a lot. It is. It's yeah. absolutely overlooked because most law enforcement snipers, they put everything into one backpack. Like most of them carry an Eberly stock bag and their rifle is either in a case, a hard case in the back of their car, or it's already slid into the sleeve of the Eberly stock. And when they deploy it, they just, I mean, they're going to get out of their car with their existing gun belt on and you know, their whatever body armor it is that, they, that they're mandated to wear. And they're grabbing that backpack out of the trunk of the vehicle and they're hauling ass to a position, right? Or they're intentionally deploying it, at which point if they're intentionally deploying like to support a raid or something like that, then they're in a different body configuration in terms of the gear that they're wearing. So, I mean, it's really hard to create SOPs in the law enforcement world just because the departments have so much variation in what they do. And a lot of times we go to places like MSTOA or I've been to other tactical officer conferences. A lot of that is just dudes sharing different aspects of how they work. Like we would debrief a course of fire or we would debrief like a tripod deployment or something like that. And, and what's really cool is letting those guys like start to talk to each other about, hey, you know, we, we do it like, we've done it like this or you know, um, I'm seeing how you guys are doing it and that's cool. I'm gonna take that back 
to us, we're going to apply it there. And so that's really what those officer conferences should always be about is bringing everybody together and sharing information from a regional standpoint. But I think the, the, where we would like to go with, uh, with that is just instead of doing basics and advanced, just do law enforcement sniper skills clinics. I like that. I was just thinking as you're talking, like, you know, I want to get to a point with the, our curriculum where it's like, hey, like a, for, especially for just competitive shooters, like a, a mastery skills clinic where mm -hmm. like you show up and there's literally no instruction. You show up, you zero your gun, and the instructor this is the course and, of fire. And, and, and then like the instructor shooting the course of fire with you, and you have to keep up with with them, right? The the, the instructor demonstrates it, right? Hey, this is the course of fire that we're gonna run, and then everyone runs it. I like right? it. And I like then, that a and lot. It, and, and it's like it's like it'll humble you're you. continuing to push because that because that instructor is trying to push his boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. I was just talking about this, I think, uh, in in a live Q and A or or something that we did, like with the videos that we've been doing lately, just breaking down the shooter's checklist, that's like, it's like slow and methodical. So I like, I haven't, for me, haven't been able to push my boundaries or, or my failure of like timing out or, you know, or um, just pushing myself to failure, right? So doing stuff like that, where it's like, hey, everyone shows up, like I'm not teaching you where to put your buttstock at. Nope. I'm not teaching you how to get into the kneeling position. But what happens if you see something wrong because like the instructor would in you and or us would just want to be like no no well, well that and that goes back into like after the after it's all said and done right and i think we kind of did a little bit of it on day one of the advanced class where we just ran a lot of mm -hmm. a lot shooting, of shooting drills. exercises where you just stop and coach like hey did you see what you did there you know try this next time you're in this position gotcha. right but like you know, uh, it's not that I'm getting sick of the, you know, uh, 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 full classes, but I want, I like as a uh, growth of an instructor, I want to figure out how to take a great shooter and make him phenomenal, right? Because, you know, right now, I think our bread and butter right now is taking a, a shooter to understand the basics of, of uh, fundamentals, marksmanship of long range shooting, how to really put that bullet where you want with intention. Mm -hmm. But I, I always talk about this is my growth as an instructor is like, okay, how do I now take a great shooter that already understands the basic fundamentals of how to chew the rifle? Now, how do I make them unstoppable? So, yeah, that's a great point. That's kind of like what I was saying with uh, uh, going back to like making advanced curriculum. Uh, I told you the first point was what's advanced. Yeah, what's but advanced. The yep. second point is also um, ego. Yeah. Because then you get guys that for instance, may have trained with Ward or whatever you were saying, and they're like, okay, well, cool, we, we have a basic understanding. Like, I am well aware of what Snell's Law is. Like, I'm good. And so they, they come to take your class or my class or previously my class, and it would be like, okay, well, can I just take an advanced class because I got this. But they're still running A, B, Kestrels or whatever it is. Not that, they're, not that it's wrong. Oh, that's another topic but not that it doesn't work it's just now you have to then teach them completely on a Ford off app because that's what all your right other students are tracking on because they've taken your intro course so they're all gathering uh firing solutions with Ford off they're already jiving on that picking up what you're putting down and your body mechanics and how you drive a gun but now because they've taken an intro course somewhere they think 
no, I don't need to waste my money on it. And I understand where they're coming from, but it's like, look, money's, you know, precious. Like, I don't have, I want, I'd rather spend my money on something advanced because I think I got a basic understanding. And you got to put it behind you. So it's like on your website, like how would you classify? So this is where we, this is why we came up with uh, our modern day sniper basic evaluation, right? And so when guys email us and say, hey, I want to take a positional course or your advanced class, like, hey, that's awesome. You know, glad that you are looking, like, thanks for so much for uh, looking at us for continuing education for long range shooting. For all of our advanced guys, however, we recommend that you're able to demonstrate the following. And it's pretty much uh, our eval. So zero your rifle within half a minute of, um, within your point of aim under a minute of angle in less than 15 rounds. Uh, uh, show us that you can um, validate your trajectory and grab your own dope from your solver. Engage targets from uh, 300 to 700 yards from two to two and a half minutes in under uh, three minutes, right? Um, engage targets of unknown distance with a laser rangefinder in the same capacity. And then um, I can't remember what the other one is. 21 but, dot drill. A 21 dot drill, right? Uh, to be able to drive that rifle to a minute of angle accuracy on our time standards. And usually when I send that, guys are like, uh, maybe I should do your intro class. Right. Yeah. yeah, because they look at that and they go, oh, okay, I can still that's, learn. That's, that's comprehensive. And, and that's basic to us. That's like, basic to us. I mean, we, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I, 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 wanna, I wanna be able to, that's, that's the goal of being able to get, get somebody uh, in four days. And we've proven that it can be done, not only with, um, not only in the past, but even recently with a student. You know, students show up with, you know, forty rounds behind, you know, behind a rifle before they show up to the class, and they're doing it with like their son or something like that, and they're doing like this, you know, father a father son type week, and we can do that, and we can do that, and get people to do it with confidence and with intention, and they pass, they succeed. So the curriculum is valid in that regard, and that's one of the things that we're constantly trying to, to make sure that we're being realistic and pragmatic with, and then saying, okay, well, um, as, uh, as technology continues to progress and gives us more and more opportunity to advance, we need to make sure that we're taking advantage of that as well to create the most advanced riflemen that we can or the most proficient riflemen that we can. And even like an evolution of techniques, um, like tripod rear, tripod rear support. A lot of people, a lot of people look at that tripod rear and they would view it as cheating. Like I know that I did for a while, but then I realized, especially from a, from a professional standpoint, the light bulb came on for me as from a professional standpoint, if I didn't teach a military or law enforcement sniper how to gain more stability from a tripod rear, just because of my ego, <laughs> that would be, that would be a, a disservice and, and actually like abhorrent. So yeah, like you look at that and you go, okay, well, all right, man, like I don't wanna, I don't wanna do a disservice to these guys by not teaching them that just because I wanna be pigheaded about it. So I think the, I think the, 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 the skills clinic, very similar to what you're talking about. It's like, hey, man, everybody's gonna show up. 
I don't care if you've been behind a gun for a month or whether you've been behind a gun for 10 years. Guess what? We're all shooting the same drills. Yeah. We're all shooting the same drills. We're gonna find out what each student's capabilities are and in turn, we'll find out what the limitations are. And then in the three days that we're working together, we're gonna to focus on each of those aspects and we're going to get you to an, a higher level of proficiency. I'm not telling you that you're gonna be able to achieve some arbitrary standard. No, we're gonna say, okay, guys, check it out. We're gonna talk about tripod shooting today. And this is my take on tripod shooting. This is what I've learned. And so this is how we're gonna apply these skills. We're gonna shoot these drills with tripods and these drills are gonna help us analyze where we're at with our skills with the tripod. And wherever you fall, you fall. And then you're gonna be also able to see a spectrum of performance because the instructor is gonna shoot it with you. You're gonna be able to see what's possible and very, very often, you know, you can have a student beat the, beat the instructor, which is fine, that doesn't matter. That just means that you're doing your job well enough that that person is progressing. So that also that basic dude has an opportunity to see what's possible and have something to work towards, right? But all while doing it in an environment where, where it's, it's built around learning and not just you know, a pass or fail standard. Sure. No, that's, it's a, uh... Yeah, it's good. I I, um, I love those, like, especially when we do it. And I think, I'm like, I guess I'm wrapping my head around right now as we're talking about this, like how to how to develop these classes for 2023, right? Because we've only have our schedule out for till second quarter, right? Yeah, it's through June, I believe. Um, but uh, yeah, it's almost like you know, if you have these guys show up on like a, 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 a day before actual training to conduct a evaluation day, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, hey, these are the, these are the, these are the five, which takes it all, which is, it's a whole day affair. Yeah, pretty much. You, range mm -hmm. opens at eight, and the very first thing you do is you do your zero eval, you do your 21 dot drill, and then essentially that puts you into like a bracket. Yeah, there right? you go. Right, and then now based off of how many students you have, then you essentially just, work on those skills that you're, you know, that you need work on based off of where you've not failed, but where you need improvement most on the skills that were highlighted throughout the evaluations, right? Because right? they essentially, I guess when we built that, you know, A, we wanted to a, a, a show obviously like a, a high shooter, but B, we wanted to give them an idea of like what Kalen and I, based off of our uh, perception of what a, a, a basic precision rifleman should be able to know, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. hey, if, you're, if you consider yourself a precision rifle shooter, you should know how to zero your gun. If you consider yourself a precision rifle shooter, you should know, you should be able to drive that rifle to one minute of angle accuracy, which is a 21 dot drill on someone else's time, right? You should know how to validate your trajectory, and you should also know how to engage targets of known distance and unknown distance from 300 yards to 700 yards, right? From two to two and a half minutes of angle. Which, like, based off of that, would you see that? Would you say that's that's pretty? I would say, yeah. I mean, that that's reasonable, but 
I guess it's it really it all comes down to the mindset. It's it's, it's subjective. What do you what like what we think? Like we're all the three of us. We're all on the same page. But what someone else might think um, is basic. Like for instance, I'll just throw the South Carolina thing out there and not attacking South Carolina people, but damn, like I was one too. But common, like basic to them that they beat their chest on is, oh yeah, make sure I'm an inch high at 50 yards and whatever the hell it is. And cause I've been hunting my whole life and you know, I know everything about hunting. And so it's like to them, Basic is just knowing how to make a two-inch group at 50 yards an inch high, and they think they're fucking white death. Like, <laughs> it's... They're, but the, that's they're, the, they're a disciple of, of Marky Mark, Bobby yeah. Swagger. So they think, like, that's subjective, though. But then when you actually look at, like, your guys' curriculum, for one, or how I how I try to, like, for instance, tailor my curriculum, too, to be a little bit more of that what is considered basic in our eyes. And, I like, I, again, I, like, I completely 100% agree with what you're saying. Like, when you actually define, by our standards, what basic is, it, it opens up a lot of eyes. It's, like, makes you, well, one, you can have the people that have ego issues and be, like, they just think they're better than everyone else, but that's not the case. Uh, or... Two, you open up eyes to be like, wow, I have more to learn. Yeah. And I think that's the importance of just realizing you, all of us, myself especially, like I have more to learn. Yeah. The, one thing to, to note as well, there's the people that have gone through that, that evaluation, in order for you to pass or be successful with that evaluation, you don't need an, an extra national. You know, you don't need that. You can go through it with a Ruger American and uh, a Vortex Viper PST shooting factory ammunition, and sure. you have the tools to be successful, right? It's not like it, it's not like that. This is like a fraternity. This is it's the same type of individual that you're speaking of, though, right? So it's like that dude that has the Ruger American with you know um, a, a lower end rifle scope on it. He can do a lot of work with it. He can do a lot of work with it, right? It, but you have to have the desire to learn, and you have to be able, like, okay, well, this is the tool that I have. So let's see, perfect, perfect example, Tyler. This class when we saw Tyler in Florida. Oh, Tyler Anderson. Yeah, yep. we saw Tyler in Florida. He yeah, had a Ruger, Ruger American. Ruger, Ruger American. And a Viper scope, Viper PST scope. And he learned at Volusia with us last year. Um, actually, it wasn't, it was February. It was February, yeah. He had a really solid setup this time. Yeah, and so he got bit by the bug. He looked at what he could do with his rifle. And then he started to see, like, okay, this is how you shoot a rifle. Now I can see what all of these little widgets and all of these little, you know, whiz-bang little things are going to do to increase my, my ability to be more proficient and to be faster and to be more accurate. So that set him on his path, and now he shows up at this class with a competition-ready setup. Um, he's learned. He's, he's put the effort in, and his skills are, are showing through his, through his development and his application. So... I'm so glad you brought that up. How would you, how would you personally word to someone, why do I need to spend this money on a custom rifle versus this? Because any one of us here in this room could grab 
an RPR or Brigard basic off-the-shelf rifle and open up cold bore shot at a thousand yards, no, provided we know our trajectory and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We can do it no problem with a Vortex PST. Mm-hmm. So why, like, it's not that I don't know, I'm trying to see how you explain it to people, but why would you go, what perks do you get from having a custom-built gun in a better optic if you're still just gonna shoot on that thousand yard flat range? That's a great question, man. Um, How do you word that? That's a, that's a great question, actually. One of, um, uh, well, a friend of mine down in Salt Lake City, uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, he, um, he reached out and said, I wanna get into rifle shooting. What should I do? And I was like, buy a Tika. Go buy a Tika, right? So he goes and he buys a Tika. He buys a, a we talked about optics. And I said, um, you know, I always open it up by saying, this is the spectrum, okay? This is the spectrum of cost, right? Because everything's a spectrum of cost. Where do you want to be on the spectrum of cost? Where can you be? Where do you want to be? And I'm not, a, I'm not answering any more questions until you tell me where you want to be on that spectrum of cost. You have to identify your why. Yeah, absolutely. And so once, once he did that, um, we said, okay, cool. So let's dive into this a little bit deeper. And he ended up with a Tika in 6.5 Creedmoor. Uh, we put a, um, we put a, what brake do we put? We put an APA brake on it for him. And we put a Night Force uh, attacker on there. And he's just, he's shooting factory Hornady ammunition and he's crushing it, right? So it's based upon like, okay, what's your, what do you want to do? And, and eventually he'll want to go do some regional type or local club matches with it just to see where his skills stand up because he's a person that likes to evaluate, you know, his, his own progression, right? Where he's at. And so for that, I think it's going to be a perfect start for him. Now, if he wishes to get more competitive, then we start looking at those, the custom builds and really what you're doing with a custom build is you're buying yourself peace of mind and you're, I mean, I, I may hate to say this, but you're buying yourself as many points as you possibly can. Taking as many errors yeah, out you're of taking, You're taking as many errors out of the, the potential errors out of the equation that are essentially gonna buy you points through forgiveness. So it's always, if, if you miss, it's because of you. Correct. Not your gear. If I, I know for a fact with my, with, with, with my competition setups, if I miss a target, it's because I missed the target. Not because, not that you can't do these things you're talking about with a off the shelf Tika. Correct. Or a thousand dollars. Correct. Scale. Like you can still lay hate and discontent. We're talking, but, we're talking about tighter tolerances, which lead to tighter, more, um, more consistency, more confidence, um, tighter, dis- tighter cones of overall dispersion. Cause sure. even then we start talking about that and it's just like, okay, what's the most like 99% of shooters out there when they verify, you know, their final seating depth test, how many rounds they shoot in that group to verify it? Probably three or five, three to five. Right. Most people on the seating depth test are going to be five shot groupers. Right. But that's not, I mean, that's just, that's just a, fraction. A, a general understanding of the potential for the rifle. Now, if you really want to see what the true potential of the rifle is, we got to start jumping into like 20, 30, 50 shot samples to see yeah. what that rifle is going to do. 
and, and get an average, and that's what the actual average. That's of that. what you're going to expect from that rifle. Just like some days we can come out and shoot it, and it shoots dimes, and other days we come out and shoot it, like you're saying. Yep. It's shooting like three quarter, a shaky half. Yeah. It's like okay, well, fuck, man, that's just what it shoots today. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Like, uh, <laughs> like I see a lot of people. Like again, I, I have so much more to learn, especially like with reloading. Um, well, with anything in life, but especially with reloading. Uh, at least on my journey and uh but i understand sds and stuff like that and how the the dogma of everyone wants to post on instagram their low sds and i feel like a lot of these individuals don't actually know what the fuck an sd is mm -hmm. and it's statistics and they don't if i say if they're like oh yeah my sd is like five or whatever it's awesome and i was like have you heard of the 68 95 99.7 rule and they're like the fuck is that and i'm like all right, well, you don't truly understand it's a bell curve. what an SD is then. So that's why I go to ESs mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But it's just like, there's a lot of, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you don't know. There's a lot of shit I don't fucking know. Yep. But I try and I try and learn more. And like we talked about in the other episode, it's like I'm trying, and I've talked to this class, like I'm trying to, remove as many of those variables as possible and simplify the process as to its core, right? Even to the point where pulling the suppressor off, putting the muzzle brake on the rifle, shooting it and saying, okay, can I, can I, can I clean this course of fire by taking the can off, not zeroing it? I've never even checked the shift. I don't know what the hell it's going to be. I was impressed with that. Can I, can I shoot this course of fire and, and yeah, I can. And those targets are two minutes angle, six tenths, right? So, and when I, and then I went, the next day I went back to the 100 yard line and checked it and the shift between the can and the muzzle brake was two tenths to the left. I would have just, in my head, well, one, I would have thought it's a Z shift, but if anything, I could just be like, oh, it's wind, I'm just gonna add a little bit more. Exactly, and so like, in that case, I was expecting a vertical shift. So would I. I even that first target at you know 410 yards, I was like, hey man, like you get lined up and and you press the trigger and you're telling yourself, hey, look everywhere, <laughs> look everywhere because I don't know where this is gonna land. Yeah. And then it smashes the plate, dead center, elevation wise, and you go, okay, well let's see what it does at 600. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's see what it does is 800. That's and, really great. And you're crushing plates and you go, okay, well that's cool. But that just, now I know, and that's for that particular barrel and that particular can, but you still have, you're still establishing this baseline of, um, you're still establishing this baseline of saying, just shoot the rifle and shoot the rifle well, and you're going to be able to compensate for whatever happens. For sure. Right. So. Because you, like you had, like you say, you don't worry about that 10th. Or even with that two tenths that you literally just proved, just built into the wind. It, it yeah, it's it's just run it because mm -hmm. like, for instance, uh, John he threw that suppressor on for the competition that because he he just borrowed one I think it was Josh's and threw it on and this can was heavy and I was like I'm expecting somewhere around a mill, uh, just vertical. I didn't expect any like you were saying you expected vertical because the the droop. Um, he was only two tenths low, I think, three tenths low. Uh, it might have been two, um, but 
then you, like, if you actually put that into perspective, had, like, something happen to the suppressor, and he had to take it off, but he, something came up, and he has to take a shot at 1,000 yards. You're talking two tenths, that's 7.2 inches at 1,000 mm -hmm. yards. Mm -hmm. and now, depending on the size of target you're talking about, shit, a 1MOA size target is still a 10-inch plate mm -hmm. at-ish um, at 1,000 yards. So you're still able to hit, like, right. a dinner-sized plate even just taking that suppressor off because something happened and you just fucking roll with it. Yep, And exactly. you don't have to get into the science of all this. I think um, also there's something to be said too about direct thread, direct thread attachments versus, uh, you know, various manufacturers of QD mounts. Was that, that a direct thread? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. the, the brake, is it welded on? The brake is red, Loctite. red Loctited into the can. He told me about that. He said basically so, made it. So basically, that's just you know we're just turning them into a direct thread can. It's pretty smart. And honestly, it's it's completely cleaned up any any point of impact shift from. Now my Thunder Beast cans have never had <clears throat> like a uh, a significant point of impact shift from taking the can off, and then putting it back on. But now that I've gone direct thread, it's gone completely. Really? Yeah, I can put the can on and do the quarter turn snap, snap, snap tight, and it repeats every single time. That's awesome. That's every impressive. single time. I think I'm gonna do that when I get home. I'm gonna red lactate that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, even like looking at the equipment and saying, you know, I put the chassis, I put the the barreled action into a chassis, never zeroed it, took it, put it in a brand new chassis, took it here. Shot it at 100 yards. It's point aim, point impact. I don't know. I mean, I was so impressed by that. Not that I didn't know that wasn't like possible. It's just you think about it and you're like, unlikely. Unlikely, right? There's going to be something. But, yeah, but so, I saw I saw that group. I mean, other than one that was just outside, you stacked like three in one hole exactly in the tip of that triangle, and I was just like, mind blown when you were saying it was like, yep, never even. Just took the barreled action out, threw in a brand new chassis, 65 inch pounds, flew cross country. The scope never came off the action though. Yeah. The scope stayed on the action, that's it. Um, well, I tested that with the AI um, out there because I wanted to know, because you had a good point. Now I, it made me start wondering, I was like, oh shit, what, what can this AI do? So I was right, like- What did you experience you took the barrel off? Yeah, so I confirmed Z first, just to make sure everything was Gucci. Then I took the barrel off, popped it on, same Z, at least within the dispersion. Like I said, like like we were talking mm -hmm. about, like I wasn't either partially May, partial dispersion on that day. Just it wasn't as tight as I've seen it before. But it, it was zeroed, and it maintained it, taking the barrel off. So now that I knew that the barrel was repeatable, I then took the barrel off a second time and took the scope off. Okay. Put the scope and barrel back on, still zeroed. That's impressive. I was like, Geez. did you do that? Did you do that before this class? I've taken the barrel off one time to test it. That was it. I never took the scope and barrel off to, to that extent of a test, not that it was like a serious testing. And how long have you been doing this? Been what? Just doing this in general, with that rifle. Oh, I just got the AI like yeah, yeah. Uh, two months ago. Okay. And, and so the reason why we, we do that for this advanced competition clinic, right, is because most shooters don't know that they should probably do that with a rifle. Right, they don't know that they should probably see if they take their barreled action out uh, of their of their uh, of their stock or chassis. If they gotta, you know, 
what's the very first thing, in my opinion, that goes down in match? Most likely to go down. It's a trigger, right? So you take the trick. You have to take. You have to bolt the uh, barreled action out. You have, you know, uh, hopefully have some pins. Swap the trigger. Pop the uh, barreled action back in. If you shoot out west, you most likely will not have the ability to re-zero, right? Because zero is specifically on a range, specific part of the range, right? And they're not going to just have zero ranges, right? At stages, this yeah. is not happening. So. Yeah. If you, confidence. If, yeah, so if you go out to a match out west, you want to have the confidence knowing that you popped your barreled action and your zero is going to stay true. Out, out east, you know, like when I shot at the finale at KM, like he had zero, which is, which is nice, right? It's, you know, it's a great facility, um, but he has zero ranges every like four or five stages, right? So that's awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? But so if you don't it. have that luxury, Right. Yep. You should know what your rifle does in the case something happens. I like that a lot. I was a big fan of your guy, you guys adding that in the curriculum. And because my mind wanders like super ADHD, um, I, re I said something earlier about that uh, two-tenths shift, and that's two, uh, 7.2 inches at mm -hmm. 1,000. And I was like, you can still hit a 10-inch plate. I, it, those of you listening and actually we're crunching numbers, I understand if you're holding center on that plate, you have five inches lower. But if you had to take a, a shot and you favored high on it, it would still fit within that yeah. general size of MOA. Absolutely. Now we can go back to what we were saying. But I had to cover my base there because I know someone on the internet's going to be like, gonna well, actually. Someone's like, going <laughs> to snipe you like they snipe Jaden. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all right. We don't, guys, the, the podcast comments, we like it, but no. Um, the comments are already there before they got to this point. Yeah. Fucking, <laughs> oh, damn it, he got me. <laughs> that's it's, uh, it's a funny uh like Joe Rogan, he's just like talking about people that, that read the comments. He's like, oh, you read the comments? <laughs> that was, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. Um, it's, yeah, the minutia of all that stuff. And we were talking about that two tenths. Um, that's a mile an hour worth of wind at a grand. That's a good point. Yeah, it's a mile that's an a hour really worth of wind at a grand. And I'm, I've been doing this a long time. And being able to call wind down to a mile an hour at a grand first round cold it's tough. I mean, you got to know the you got to know the range, and even then, it's a big ass guess, anyways. And um, most of the time, you're gonna have to clean you're gonna have to clean up that initial wind call um, to get the bullet truly center. You're always gonna have to do that. I mean, because we have that that phenomena of wind, and it's a complete unknown. So, uh, the the closest that we we want to get, the closest that we can to achieving. Uh, a, you know, the first round hit. Okay, that's fair. I, I hit the target on the first round, but we also train students to remember that if it's not center, it's still a miss because we want you to get in the habit of correcting the center every single time you can. That's the most margin for error. That's the most, that's the biggest comfort zone in the target. And that's what's going to guarantee you're going to stay on the plate consistently. Yeah, for sure. No, I was a big fan of, I mean, this isn't the first time I've seen your career. It's the first time I've seen uh, these two clinics that you guys did. Um, but as far as an understanding of your overall general consensus of curriculum, it's not my first time. But every time I just, I'm a big fan. There's like purpose behind it. It doesn't feel like you're, you're doing a general service of just like, hey, this is, you know, yada, 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 here we go. And you're going through the motions. Like everything felt specific, 
and purpose-driven, I guess you can say, tailored to the needs of the individuals that were there. Yeah, so that, and, that's, and that's why I think I love the fact that we don't have, if someone asked us for our curriculum right now, it would take me, it would take me like three hours to put it together. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Oh, like yeah. to actually write it on paper. Like, yeah. You know, to schedule like hour by hour. Yeah, we, we've been doing this for so long, and, and, and even after every class, when the class is over, I'll, I'll ask him, like, how can we make that better? Sometimes even after every day, right? Like, after day one of intro, like, hey, how can we make, make this better? Um, you know, because uh, not that I'm not a fan of classroom stuff, but, you know, you can only and you can start to see it after about two hours of straight classroom the 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 glossy eyes right yeah. so you know we need to go do something I agree. you know yeah. and, and day one typically of every class is it's pretty rough because you know that's when we we do introductions we do safety we we roll into circle of components and then fundamentals of marksmanship right um how do you apply circle of components well for them really maybe disanasling their rifle um which I think we talked about doing because sometimes we get to zero and then realize that these dudes didn't even torque down the rifles, yeah. right? Um, but then when you roll into fundamentals and marksmanship, by the time you start teaching body position and then you end with breathing control or you know follow through, the only thing that's at the forefront of their mind is follow through, right? So when we get to the range, yeah. now we're still backtracking back to like, okay, hey, square up with the rifle. But they heard that four hours ago. You know what I mean? Yep. So like always trying to progress and, and like you said, we're we're always and this is why like I love to dabble into everything long range that's practical, competitive shooting, hunting, professional military law enforcement sniping, and just enthusiasts because it allows me to relate when I talk to them individually, like, okay, hey, I know Heidi was trying to just be a more proficient competitive shooter. This is how I'm going to spin. Hey, this is how you might get in position a lot better, mm-hmm. and so on and so on. But I'm not going to say the same exact thing to Evan or John. The curriculum is fluid. That's right. Yep. Yeah, curriculum is fluid. It's got to be. It's got to be that way. Everybody has a good experience based upon conditions, range, uh, range capabilities, uh, you know, class capabilities, things like that. So. Yeah, I don't really subscribe to like the hard and fast. We have to stick to this, and that doesn't. That usually doesn't work, and it actually ends up causing more stress on on the staff than anything else. Instead of just being super adaptable, because no matter what, the student's going to come away. Um, the student's going to come away accomplishing what they're capable of accomplishing, basically. Uh, like Phil, you came up to me. Um, we were talking about it briefly uh, this week. And man, I gotta say, like it, like uh, like I was just kind of helping out on the line with you guys where I could. Um, but I was like, man, this is really a breath of fresh air, not being like the only one that like, you know, pr- above average at least in knowledge with precision shooting. Because it's like I, I would teach classes, and for the most part, not talking ill or anything. It's just like for the most part, though, I was like pretty much the only one that really had the serious knowledge on running the tools or any of this. So it's like, while I can speak to the masses, then when it's, everyone's on the firing line, I'm still kind of really the only guy that can really go and diagnose. And so it was like really cool to see how 
you know, both you guys, like you could be in one area, you could be in the other. When we did the round robin, I was even in my own area. And like, I knew you guys were teaching the, like Phil was teaching solid stuff, you were teaching solid stuff and my subpar, but probably still good stuff <laughs> in there. And I was like, all right, so this is, this is cool. It's a good, it's a good fluid, um, having not just confidence in the system, but confidence in uh, the people teaching it. The only thing, the only time that Kaylin and I like get with each other is like, hey, what are they like? What are the students tasked with at the moment, right? Because, but I remember we had this problem at sniper school when I was teaching. Is you know, because again, primary marksmanship instructor, none of the staff is sitting in any of the classes. Maybe right. they're going to the range once yep. every three or four days, and then you know they do go out there, and they're yelling at they're yelling at one of my one of my you know, one of the students for something that I, I originally told that student he's okay doing. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So now, but, but, but no butts go touch a fucking yeah. pole. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and but so Sergeant Valera said the, it's okay. The continuity <laughs> that, you know, Kalen and I have is, is um, obviously just shown through the amount of times we've done this. Um, but obviously, just obviously communication going into each day, like you've seen, of like, hey, this is what we're doing today, uh, tackling like, hey, this is kind of what our focus is. And then obviously, once we get there, based off of the op tempo, based off the student's comprehension um, in the class, you know, we, we make uh, adjustments as needed. Um, but I, I think, yeah, for the most part, it's, and, and nothing that we're teaching, right? Nothing that we're teaching is like proprietary to modern day sniper, no. right? Like. Everyone can open source totally all this information, yeah. right, based off of who they want to deliver their instruction, right? But I think what we figured out is the way in which students learn and progress, right, in order to, for them to have a successful learning experience. I'd say, yeah, it's more, it's not that the curriculum, well, yeah, the curriculum is a byproduct of your goal of how you deliver it, but really a lot of it's psychological. Like how do you, how do you manipulate the mind and not manipulate in a negative connotation, but in a positive manner? Like how do you manipulate the mind to access learning? And I think you guys found, uh, really, like I, dude, I've lost count of how many instructors I've gone to and people I've talked to and shit like that over the years. But my favorites are still like you guys, like it's just the the method of like, you, like you're teaching how to deliver a tiny projectile in a time and space, but you guys are like also based on your coaching, are able to t deliver knowledge into a specific part of the brain with precision to the, where it just like clicks, and it, it works really well. But I'm a, I'm a fan. Right on, man. Well, I think that's probably a pretty good place to wrap her up. You think? Yeah. 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 No, it's a good week. Thanks for uh, coming out, shooting with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. Um, it was a good time. It was great. It was a good time. We appreciate your contribution, and I know the students got a lot out of it. And yeah. just listening into the to the stuff that you're talking about, you have a good. You have you also have a great way of explaining things, and that's really what we look for. Um, that's really what we look for in in teaching is not necessarily being an instructor, but we want you to be a teacher. Yeah. And there's a difference between the two. And I don't want somebody that's just going to regurgitate a, uh, a curriculum. I want somebody that's going to be 
um, to be able to put their experience and passion behind the subject that's trying to be taught. For sure. And that's really important. So well, hopefully I was able to contribute a no, little you bit did. at least. You, you so absolutely did. It was great cool. to have you, man. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Well, all right, guys. Um, if everyone listening in, thanks for thanks for listening. This time I, I stayed awake. <laughs> <laughs> we also did this at one yeah, we twenty did in we the did afternoon. It. We did it at one o'clock in the uh, afternoon, but, not um, ten o'clock at night. Appreciate everyone as always. Uh, we're wrapping up the end of the year. Check out um, if you again if you haven't done so already. Check out the Modern Day Rifleman Network. Uh, Caitlin and I just put out some pretty cool articles. I'm actually working on an article, five things that you should have on your rifle in 2023. Um, so check that out. That'll be dropping. But uh, Caitlin did four mistakes of hand loaders should I, that I should actually probably reread uh, after <laughs> given last weekend. So, uh, no, appreciate you guys. Um, Ryan, thanks for uh, hanging out with this week. Yes, sir. And Thank you. Uh, you guys know the drill. Keep a face on the gun. Yo. See you guys later. Later.